Well, good evening. Um, my name is John, uh, as Derek mentioned. Uh, I'm the campus minister for uh, Reformed University Fellowship uh, at the University of Vermont. Uh, I think I have the best job in the world because I get to spend a lot of time with college students, uh, college students who are very much like yourself. Um, as I look at this crowd, I'm, most of us in this room uh, have gone through middle school. Uh, we all know how awkward that was. Um, most of us here have, are in or have gone through high school and know how awesome and awkward that was too. Um, middle school, and some of us are here are, are in college or just graduated from college. You know, middle school, high school, and college, what makes these times so interesting uh, and so awesome and, and so awkward all at the same time is that these are moments in your life where you're really trying to figure out, you know, who am I? Uh, what makes me special? Am I special in the first place? Right? What makes me me? Uh, when I was a little kid, um, my mom read me this book. I was actually scanning the bottom shelf of your, uh, of your library here, seeing if you had it here. It's a book called um, Are You My Mother? And maybe your mom has read this to you too. Uh, It's a story about a hatchling bird, uh, a baby bird. And and when the baby bird hatches, his mom isn't there. You know, she's off flying around looking for some worms. uh, And so he comes out of his egg, and he's a little uh, disoriented and confused. And so he embarks on this quest, right? He leaves the nest to go and find his mother. Well, the first animal he flies up to is a kitten. And he says, you know... Are you my mother? Kitten says, no. So he flies over to a dog, and he says, are you my mother? Dog says, no. Flies over to a cow. You know where this is going. Are you my mother? No. Well, he's starting to get pretty desperate at this point, so, you know, he's just, just you know, reaching for anything. He flies over to a car, not his mother. He flies over to, like, a boat and also to, um, to a plane. You know, which is a pretty good guess, right, with the wings and all? Not his mother. Not his mother. So he finally settles down, right, on this giant mechanized, you know, earth mover, which is kind of like this crane with like a claw at the top. You know what I'm talking about? And he's like, you know, for whatever reason, the bird thinks this is his mother. It's the kid's life. But all of a sudden, this thing sort of like jolts to life, right? And it makes out this huge noise, like this snort sound. And he goes, you are not my mother, right? And he's trying to fly away, but he's stuck. And as this thing starts to move and sort of is, uh, you know, stirred into action, he's really terrified and he's afraid. Uh, and coincidentally, this thing drops him right back off in his nest where his mother is. They're reunited. And that's the end of the story. Well, why do I tell you this kid's tale. What does this story have anything to do with identity? Um, I think it has a lot to do uh, with identity. In a sense, I think we're all born into this world a little confused, right? We're not quite sure where our true identity lies. And we embark on this quest uh, to find it. We look at our family and our friends and we say, is this where my true identity lies? We look at our report card Or our yearbook, you know, with all the extracurriculars that you were in or 
all the notes that your friends wrote on the back cover or the, you know, the front cover. And you say, hey, you know, is this where my identity, identity lies? You look at the color of your skin or you look at yourself in the mirror and you wonder, is this you know, where my identity lies? You're like that little birdie saying, you know, I want my mommy, I want my identity, you know, where is it? And in that moment of crisis and desperation, you're brought back to the beginning, right? Just like that bird was. You're brought back to the beginning where your quest started in the first place. And it's right there, you know, back at the beginning, back at square one, that you realize that you left something, or rather you left someone behind. And it's there at the beginning where your true identity lies. Here's what I want to do tonight, and I'm going to kind of give you a little roadmap of where we're going to go, I guess, this weekend. Tonight, I want to take us back to the beginning. I want you to see where your true identity lies. But I'm operating on the assumption, and it's a, it's a biblically grounded one, that you are confused, right? You're disoriented. You're lost. You don't know where your true identity lies. And you're trying to find it, and you're trying to fix it in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of fashions, and it's just not working. It doesn't, it, it's just not, it doesn't fit, right? So what I want to look to, what I want to do today is look at our broken identity, right? All the places we look to, to find our identity, um, but they're all the wrong places, right? It's like that bird going to the cat, to the dog, to the boat, to the plane, you know? What I want to do the, the next day is look at our new identity. Um, and then I want to look at, on Sunday morning, um, what does it mean for us to live uh, out of our new identity? So that's where we're going, okay? Well, let's go back to the beginning, okay? Um, let's go back to that proverbial nest. Where does our true identity lie? As I rip this thing right off its head. Where does our true identity lie? <laughs> Shunk. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, um, or if there's one, I think, right there uh, in, in your pews, why don't you turn to page one, okay? Page one of your Bible, which is Genesis 1. Because I want you to see here in the beginning that our identity is wrapped up in God, uh, and that in the beginning, God defined us. Okay? In the beginning, God defined us. That's the first point, right? Genesis 1 is a passage you all know well. It tells a story about God creating the world, Right? He, uh, on the back end of the story, you realize, man, this guy is, he's amazing, he's a creator, he's kind of like this amazing inventor, right? And you know fully well that when you invent something, one of the perks of being an inventor is that you get to name your invention, and you get to tell the world what your invention does and what it's good for. You know, Henry Ford, you all know what he made, right? He made the car, right? So people ask him, so, Henry... What do you call this thing? He's like, I call it the Model T. You know? And they're like, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, what does it do? How does it work? He's like, well, I'm glad that you asked. You know, you put the gas in here and you step on the pedal there and broom, you're off. And like, what is it good for? Like, well, isn't it obvious? It gets you from point A to point B, you know, in the nick of time and you don't have to pick up horse poop anymore. Right? Henry Ford, Model T. Alexander Graham Bell, another famous invention. You know, what is this, Alexander? Uh, well, it's a telephone. And you're like, well, what does it do? And you hold it close to your ear and you speak into this part and you listen in this part and you can 
talk to people over amazing distances. They're like, that's so interesting, you know, what is it good for? He tells you it's good for ordering pizza, you know? Or as a kid, right, who loved to play with Legos, you know, my, uh, I would make stuff and I would present it to my, to my mom and to my dad. He'd be like, well, that's really interesting, John, you know, what is that? And like, oh, it's a, it's a thumper nickel. They're like, interesting, you know, what does that do? You're like, well, if you spin the propeller, it can fly. They're like, well, what is it good for? They're like, well, it just makes people happy. You know? When you invent something, you get to name it, right? You get to tell us what it does. You, tell, you get to tell us what it's good for. And it's important that you listen to the inventor. It's important that you listen to the inventor, right? It's important that you, um, that you read the instruction manual. You know, this iPhone is great for making phone calls, and as Derek's son has realized, it's good for taking pictures, but it's terrible for hammering in nails, you know? It's not what it's used for. Um, you got to listen to what the inventor said. You know, you got to follow his instructions. So who does God say that we are, right? Who does God say that we are? What are we good for? How do we work, right? And the answer is right there, page one of the Bible, right? You don't have to go far at all. It's right here. Look at verses 1, Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 through 28. I'm going to read it out loud. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? This question, right? Who are we? The Bible says right here, right? We are God's image bearers. Right? Male and female, we are created to image God. Well, the next question, right? Well, how do you work? How do we work? You know, I, I, have you ever held, we, we sort of work like a mirror. I don't know, have you ever held like a mirror, like sort of at this, at, a, at, a, at, a, at an angle, where you look at it and you can see my reflection? You see like the mirror, but you can see me in it, even though I'm holding it like that. Have you ever done that before? That's kind of how God intended us to work. When other people were to look at us, like this mirror, not only would they see the mirror, but they would see God's reflection. He would see us. He would see who God is and what his character is like simply by looking at us, right? The people around us looking at us wouldn't just see the mirror. They wouldn't just see you, you, and you. They would see God's reflection in you. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we were made to work. We were made to know God and reflect God. Or as I like to say, we were made to know it and show it. Right? We're made to know the love of God, and we're meant to, to show it to the people around us. And that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to be uh, an image bearer. And listen, friends, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In God's eyes, you are a beautiful work of art. I want you to hear what psalmist, uh, the psalmist says in one, Psalm 139. 
It says, for you created, he's talking to God, you, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's true. You guys are, you're all beautiful. But the problem is, is you don't, you, the guys, he's like, oh man, I'm handsome. <laughs> I'm not beautiful, I'm handsome. You're handsome. The problem is, beautiful or handsome, right? You hardly ever feel this way. You don't think you're beautiful. Deep down inside, right, deep down inside, you feel like something has really gone wrong. You, you know that within you, you're not the way you're supposed to be. The Bible says that you are beautiful on this page, but you feel broken. And the reason you feel broken is because you are. Right? You are beautiful, but you are broken. This brings me to my second point. Okay, Why? What happened? To answer this question, we simply need to take our Bibles and turn the page. You can do it with me. Just turn the page. All we need to do is look at Genesis 3. Right? The, the answer to this question, why, what happened, if I'm beautiful, why do I feel broken, <clears throat> is answered here. Okay? If in the beginning, right, God, I, God defined us, he told us who we are and what we were good for, right, point number one, in a fallen world, we define ourselves. Okay? That's point number two. Right? In a fallen world, we define ourselves. Let me take a sip. Until you get to Genesis 3, right? You know, on this page and half of this page, right? Everything's good, right? God's happy. Adam and Eve are happy. The place looks good. The food tastes good. You know, it's a good party, right? Everybody's smiling. Adam and Eve are imaging God. Uh, you know, they're loving God. They're loving one another. They're loving the world that God entrusted to their care. Again, everybody wins, right? Everybody's happy. But somebody comes along, right, who's not invited to this party, who comes to crash the party. We know who this is. It's God's enemy, right? The devil. And he enters the garden disguised as a serpent. And he comes to destroy and to harm, right? He hates God and he wants to hurt him. And he knows that he can't go like head to head with God, but he knows a way that he can wound his heart. And the way that he's going to wound God's heart is by going after the ones that he loves. Um, there was a movie when I was in middle school, um, maybe even before that, that came out called Hook. Has anybody seen this movie? Hook, it's about Peter Pan, Robin Williams, all the, everybody, Derek and all the adults are raising their hand. I'll give you a brief synopsis. Go rent this movie. It was cool when I saw it. It might not be cool right now anymore, but in my memory, it's still cool. All right? The premise is this. Peter Pan doesn't go back to Never Everland, right? He falls in love with Wendy, and he stays with her in London, and because he doesn't go back to Never Everland, he grows old. And now he's like a 45-year-old lawyer who's played by Robin Williams. Great casting, right? Captain Hook has got this vengeance, like the devil, right? He hates God, like P Captain Hook hates Peter Pan, and he wants to hurt him. 
So, I don't know how they do this, they figure a way to get back to London, and they kidnap Peter Pan's kids, right? And they bring them back to Never Everland. So, now Peter Pan, 45, has got to go back to Never Everland, and he's got to relearn how to crow, he's got to relearn how to fly. You know, he's wearing a suit, and, and everybody's like, who is this guy? But he's got to do all these things in order to win his kids back. But Hook, right, he doesn't kill Peter Pan's kids, right? He's got a much more sinister plot. He's trying to seduce uh, Peter Pan's kids to follow him, to think that he's a better dad. And he wants Peter Pan's kids to hate Peter Pan, to murder him in, in their heart. And it's the most insidious thing that he could possibly do. And that's exactly the sort of thing the devil pulls here in the garden. He wants to get God's kids to hate him. You know? In the garden, right, the devil doesn't attack God's existence. He doesn't tell Adam and Eve God doesn't exist, right? He knows that's too big a lie. You know, he's not going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes that much. Instead, he goes after God's goodness. And he says, God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really want what's best for you. God's trying to hold you back, right, to limit you, you know, to control you. He's a control freak, right? He attacks God's goodness. And he does this by saying, like, did God actually say that? Not to eat that fruit? I mean, did he really say that? You know, wow, what a loving dad, you know, rolling the eyes. Are you serious? He really said that. Seems to me he's keeping good things away from you. You know, it seems to me he doesn't want you to be happy. Seems to me he doesn't really love you. Seems to me you'd be better off without him. Right? And these lies go straight into Adam and Eve's heart. And my friends, they've entered yours too. Because we've all believed the lie. Right? You haven't taken that forbidden fruit right off that tree and chomped down into it. Right? But you have believed the lie. And you have turned your backs on God. And you have done exactly what Adam and Eve have done. And said, I'm going to carve my own path. You know, in eating that fruit or whatever ways it is that you reject God in your life. Right? What you are doing is essentially saying the devil's right. God isn't good. He doesn't love us. You know, from now on, we're going to do things our own way. From now on, we're going to write the rules. From now on, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong for me. I'm going to define myself. Forget what God says about me and who I am and what I'm good for. I'm going to decide that for myself. I'm going to decide who I am, what I can do, and what I'm good for. And you have done it. I have done it. We all have done this. Maybe you're doing it even now. Okay? When you turn your backs on God and you no longer live according to his rules or design, when we no longer let him define us, okay, who we are, how we work, what we're good for, we write the rules, right? We define ourselves, and you're doing this in all sorts of ways, okay? You're turning to so many different things apart from God and looking to that to give you your identity and your sense of dignity and your sense of worth. And you're doing this in all sorts of ways. 
Right? There's the old-fashioned way, and there's sort of like the new, cool, American way. Right? And you probably have feet in both camps. Probably more squarely like in the new, cool, American way in like a big toe. You know, like in the old-fashioned way. But no matter, you believe that you have the ability to define yourselves. Here's how the old-fashioned way works. Where, who am I, right? Where does my, who am I, you know, who am I really, where does my identity really come from? Well, the first way you do this is to say, I am my last name. I'm my family. You know, that's who I am. For me, I'm a minor. Maybe for you, it's, I'm a dykstra or a promsma. You know, that's who I am. I'm a promsma. I'm a Kemp. You know, I'm a Smith. It's this last name that gives me my identity. This is what tells me who I really am. I don't know if you've ever introduced yourself to someone. You're like, oh, hi, my name is John. And they're like, what's your last name? Oh, it's mine. And they go, oh. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> oh. Because it could be, oh, Eric and Anna Lee are amazing people. What wonderful parents. You know, you come from a great family. Or it could be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? My younger sister, uh, Taya, got a lot of this in high school. She's two years younger than me. Anybody else have siblings in high school who went to the same high school a little bit older than them? Anybody? A couple people. All right. Well, you know this. If your older sibling was awesome, the teachers are like, oh, you know, John, he had some pretty big shoes to fill, you know. Or oh, Carly, you know, like, your, your, your older brother or older sister was a real terror. Are you going to be like, just like him? You know, it's, our family members can really, you can look to them to define you for blessing or for curse, right? I am my last name. Maybe you're looking to it right now, right? I don't know everybody's last name here. But maybe you're saying that's where I get the core of my identity. Or maybe you're looking to your race, right? Or your culture for your identity. Who am I? I'm Dutch. I am. And if you're not, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Go home. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, has anybody been watching the soccer? It's awesome. They're doing great. I'm pleased with that. But maybe you're not Dutch, and maybe you aren't much. But maybe, you're, uh, maybe you're saying, who am I? Well, I'm French. Or I'm Chinese, you know, or I'm Nigerian, or I'm an American, or I'm a mutt, you know. I am my heritage, I'm my culture, I'm my, my, my native language, my country's national dish, my country's national dishes, which for me is hahaslaw and pancakes, you know. But this is who I am, right? I'm the collection of all of these things. I'm my race, I'm my culture. Or maybe you're saying, I'm the color of my skin, right? I'm black, I'm white, I'm brown, I'm yellow, I'm red. It's this that actually defines me. I don't know for you. But maybe some of you are banking a lot on the fact of where your family is from. That's where you get your identity. Right? Finally, you might say, oh, I get my identity from my temperament. You know, from my personality. I'm introverted. 
I'm extroverted, you know? I'm talkative, or I'm shy, you know? I'm a thinker, or I'm a feeler, right? That's who I am, right? I'm getting my identity from my temperament. What's funny about this old-fashioned way, right, of identity formation is that you have no choice over any of these things, right? You're born into a certain family, right? You're so-and-so's daughter or, or son, right? You're so-and-so's brother or sister. You're so-and-so's nephew or niece. And there's no getting around that, right? Similarly, you do have a certain racial or ethnic background. You do have some cultural heritage. And you are born, right, with a natural temperament. All of these things are true, and unavoidably, these things do shape you. But friends, none of these things defines you, okay? None of these define you. In and of themselves, none of them can actually define you. None of them tell you exactly who you really are. And if you try to make any of these things your total identity, it's going to lead to all sorts of problems, right? If you base your identity totally on your family, you're, you'll either be unduly proud because you come from a great family and you're banking on all the achievements of other people, right? Or you'll be unduly depressed because you have a lousy family and it's based on nothing that you've done, you know, what other people have done. If you base all of your identity on your race or your culture, you will be unduly nationalistic, right? And probably racist. And if you base all of your identity on your personality type or your temperament, you're going to feel stuck and pigeonholed because there are odds are you don't like things about your personality and personality is super hard to change, right? This is the old-fashioned way of ways that people, apart from God, if you're saying, look, I'm going to write the, rewrite the rules, I'm going to define myself, this is the old-fashioned way of trying to look to, to things that are actually going to give you your identity, you know, the, the things that are going to define you. But if that's the old-fashioned way, what's this new American way, you know? Who am I? What does it mean to be me? Well, you don't have to look very far. All you have to do is log on to Facebook to figure out what this way is all about. Right? Facebook is the epitome of this new American way of identity formation. Right? Who am I? Well, first and foremost, you're your likes. Right? You're your likes. You're your favorite sports team, your favorite music, your favorite TV shows, your favorite celebrities, your favorite movies, your favorite books. Right? Who am I? Well, I'm a Boston Bruins fan or I'm a Washington Redskins fan. Who am I? I like Coldplay. I like Arcade Fire. I like Lady Gaga, One Direction, or James Taylor, or Taylor Swift, right? Who am I? I like Hunger Games. I like Twilight. I like Lord of the Rings. I like the X-Men. I like Coke. I like Pepsi. I like iPhones. I like Androids. I like PlayStation 360. I like the Xbox, you know? That's who I am. You know, I'm a collection of all of these likes or dislikes. But significantly, what you like is always changing, and so is then your identity. It's not stable, right? You can't really pin it down. That's not all. Who am I? You're your profile picture, 
right? You're your cover photo. A couple of days ago, I was listening to some high schoolers describe the difference between their profile picture and their cover photo, and it was unbelievable. Like, they had this thing down to a science. Here's what they said. They said, your profile picture is how you want people to visualize you, okay? On the other hand, your cover photo tells others about your personality. So, profile picture, it's how you want people to visualize you. Your cover photo, it's a little bit more about your personality, right? And you've got to pick these things very, very, very carefully. Why? Because you are the image that you project out to the world, right? You are your image. And you've got to pick the right one because you want to get the most likes, right? Because that's really important. Just like your likes, your profile picture and your cover photo are always changing because your beauty fades, your fashions change, and who you are is ever-changing. Who am I? Where is your identity like? Well, it lies in the image that I'm projecting out to the world. Right? And you use your likes, too, to craft that image. Well, let's keep going, right? Let's stay here on the Facebook page. Who am I? You are your work, your education, and your status updates. Right? You're your performance. You are what you do, and you are how well you do it. You are a doctor or a lawyer or a farmer if you're out of college. Or you're a basketball player, a cheerleader, you know, a star on the hockey team. You work for the yearbook. I don't know. Not only you are, are you are what you do, you are defined by how well you do it. You are your grades. I'm a straight-A student. You know, you are your awards. I'm summa cum laude. You know, I'm the president of the National Honor Society. That's where you're getting your identity. You are your, you know, you get your identity because of, you know, that you played, you were the, the, the star quarterback or you were prom queen or king. You know, you are basically what you do and how well you do it. Here's another place you look for your identity, right? It's your friends. You are your friends, your hangout group. And it's not just who your friends are, but it's how many you have, right? You are popular or you're not. You're cool or you're a loser. You're loved or you're unlovable. And you base that based on how many friends you have on Facebook. Finally, sticking with this whole Facebook theme, right? You are your gender, your sexuality, and your relationship status, right? It's, you might think that this gender would have been in the old-fashioned one, but it's not. The way our culture is heading, even this is up for grabs. You get to choose whether you are male or female, and then there's that third option, custom. You get to choose. Related to gender is sexuality. You're a heterosexual or a homosexual. You're a virgin or you're sexually active. That's where you get your identity. You are your relationship status. Listen to this on Facebook. You are single. You are in a relationship. You're engaged, married, in a civil union, in a domestic partnership, in an open relationship, separated, divorced, widowed. And then my favorite, it's complicated. (laughs) You know? And it is. Right? This whole thing about identity gets really, really complicated. Satan said that this would be liberating. You know? Don't let this guy define you. 
You write the rules. You get to make it up yourself. You don't need him. You're better off without him. You're going to be free. But you are not free. You are anxious and you are feeling um, just uh, really thin, empty, and you're also feeling you're confused, you're lost like that little birdie, right? Where's my identity? Who am I really? But not only are you like feeling anxious and spread thin and a little lost and confused, you're also deeply naked and ashamed. You feel naked and ashamed. Let's go back to Genesis for a second, okay? Once upon a time, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed, right? In Genesis 2.25, but now look at them in Genesis 3.7. They turn their backs on God. They take matters into their own hands. And it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, right? They've turned their backs on God. They've, they've embarked on this quest of redefining themselves, and immediately, right, they feel exposed, They've lost their protective cover, right? And they are naked and in shame. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And this is you, okay? This is you. Deep down inside, each and every one of you is this longing to be known. You want to be known, right? You want to be loved. But you're also very afraid. You're afraid that if I get too close to this person and they actually know who I really am, and what I really am like, they are not going to love me. Yeah, they're they're going to reject me. And so you have simultaneously this deep desire to be loved and to be known, and this great fear of getting too close. Frederick Beekner, who's a pastor who lives in Vermont, said this, and he says it very well. Instead of showing ourselves as we truly are, we show ourselves as we believe others want us to be. We wear masks. And with practice, we do it better and better. We pretend, and it serves us well, except that it gets very lonely inside the mask, because inside the mask that each of us wears, there's a person who both longs to be known and fears to be known. You are made to be known and loved by God, to love and to be loved, to, sh- to, to, to know it and to show it, right? But now, instead of that, you feel unknown, naked and ashamed, exposed, afraid, inadequate and insecure, right? You sense that you're not okay and you want to make yourself okay. You really do. So what do you do? You do just like Adam and Eve did, right? You grab some fig leaves, you try and patch them together to cover yourself, right? Of course, you're not doing this with literal fig leaves, but that's all what identity formation is, You're trying to grab at things that have kind of holes in them and are awkwardly shaped, and you're saying, I'm going to use this to cover me up. This is who I really am. Look at this, right? Don't look at that. Look at this, right? You're experts at trying to sew fig leaf clothing. But here's the thing that doesn't work. Your identity cannot be wrapped in those things. It will not deal adequately with your real sense of nakedness and shame, right? And this brings me to my final point for tonight, okay? This is what's going to catapult us into the next two days, okay? In the beginning, right, God defined us. 
in our fallen world, in the world that we live in, we define ourselves. And we've looked at, right, some of these ways that we try to do this. The problem is, is that at the end of the day, you feel anxious, you feel scared, you feel naked, you feel ashamed. Your attempts to identify yourself and to define yourself and to cover yourself, it hasn't worked, it doesn't work, and it's not going to work. But here's why you can come back tomorrow, right? Uh, and the story in the seminar, right, doesn't end here, right? This is why we have two more talks. Look with me at the very end of Genesis 3, okay? This is the last point of today's talk. God is going to recover us, God is going to recover us. And there's a double entendre here, you know, two meanings. To recover something means to rescue it, but also means to clothe. God is going to recover us. He promises that he's going to do that. In the first sense, he's going to rescue us. He says in Genesis 3.15 that he's going to, that a rescuer is coming. That someday a seed of Eve, right, a child of a woman, is going to crush the head of the serpent, but he's going to have his heel bruised, right? He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to destroy evil once and for all. He's going to make everything wrong right again. He's going to reverse this curse, but he's going to get wounded in the process. That's the promise of Genesis 3.15, right? God is going to recover us. He's going to rescue us, but there's a second sense to this, okay? He's going to take away our nakedness and our shame, right? God is going to give us a newer and a better identity, the one we can make up ourselves. He's going to give us something better than fig leaves, He's going to give us clothes that last and that take away your nakedness and shame. Look at verse 21. Adam and Eve feel naked and ashamed. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they feel. They don't like who they are. So they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. But look at what God does for them, right? It says here, And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. He takes away theirs and our nakedness and shame. But in order for that to happen, right, an innocent has to be slain. Blood has to be shed. God's going to recover us, right? He's going to give you a newer, better, unshakable identity, right? But that's where we're going to go tomorrow, okay? Tomorrow we're going to see how he does that and what that means for you and me. And it's, it's going to be a good, it's good news, right? You don't have to look to all these other things to get your identity. God's going to give you a better one. All right? Thanks for being with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your pursuit. Thank you that even as we rejected you and we turned our backs on you and we have tried to write our own rules, you have spoken into the chaos words of promise and words of hope that you are going to recover us, that you are going to defeat evil, you're going to bring us back home. And you're going to give us clothes at last. You're going to take away this nakedness and shame. And you're going to give us a newer, better identity. What glorious good news that is. Lord, help us to repent, please, of the ways that we look to find our identity in anything but you. Lord, please uh, help us to see um, the goodness of your creation and when you made us in your image. Lord, we want to reflect 
your love and care to those around us. Help us to know it. Help us to show it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grateful to be with you. Thank you. This is good.